Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning. Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship Church. We're so glad uh, that you're here. Uh, my name is Pastor Curtis Dunlap. I'm a family life pastor here. I'm grateful and privileged to be before you uh, this morning. Uh, we know that you guys uh, have been trusting in the Lord and trekking along with us as we continue uh, just to strive to honor the Lord uh, during this, this very difficult season. And so if you're tuning in, we're glad that you decided to tune in and worship with us today uh, and pray that you are blessed uh, by God's word this morning. And so um, why don't you open your Bibles with me uh, to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm going to read verses 20 and 21 for us this morning. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. Here's the word of the Lord. It says, So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. And then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God... Then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. As we continue on our undefeated series this morning, I just want to speak from the theme and excuse my ebonics, but God don't do open relationships. God don't do open relationships. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful and thankful that we get the privilege to open your word and to receive the truth of your word that can be engrafted into our souls, that can change our minds, that can affirm and reaffirm some things in our souls that we need to know about you and about your character and how you expect us to live, how you expect us to relate to you. And so, God, we pray this day that your word would go forth with power uh, and that it would go forth and change our minds, our hearts, and our lives to the glory of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his mighty and matchless name that we pray. Amen. God don't do open relationships. Loyalty. Allegiance. Constancy. Faithfulness. Reliability. Trustworthiness. Dependability, devotion, commitment. What, what do all these words have in common? And what they have in common is that they can all be rooted in what it means to be in a monogamous relationship. See, m- m- monogamy carries with it certain expectations. It, 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 it builds a, 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 the type of relationship that says that, that, that I am yours and you are mine and that we are trusting one another to be committed solely to each other and to no one else. And now, now I'm, I'm, I'm married. I've been happily married for, for 13 years uh, to my beautiful wife. And, and, and I can tell you this. We, we practice the principles of having a monogamous relationship. But if either one of us 
were to decline being trustworthy, being loyal, being faithful to one another and one another alone, then, then my 13 years of being happily married would, clip, uh, would clearly evaporate. So the, 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 the truth is that, that, that I have to ask a question of us if we're being honest with ourselves. And I, and, and I ask this with, with absolute genuine concern. Are you sure that the relationship that you have with God is actually monogamous? Because God expects a monogamous relationship of worship from his people. Now, 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 by the time we get here in 1 Kings chapter 18, we're introduced to uh, a king named Ahab. And, and the, Bible, the Bible makes some accusations against uh, Ahab uh, beginning back in chapter 16. And, and listen to what it says. It says, Ahab, the son of, of Omri, who was his father, who was the king before him. Look what it says. It says that he did evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. And then it says, it, as if that weren't bad enough, as if following in the footsteps of Jeroboam, the first king of Israel after uh, Israel split into Israel and Judah, uh, if it wasn't enough to do what was evil in the Lord's sight, it says, it says then he went off and married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and bow down and worship to him. And then, and then listen to what the Lord says. This, this, I, I would never want to be characterized this way by God's word. Like this is written in uh, the corpus of scripture for all of eternity. Look what it says. Ahab did more to anger the Lord of God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. My, my goodness gracious. That, that Ahab did more. Now, now, if you know anything about the historicity of the kings of Israel and Judah, for, for Ahab to be considered the king who did more than anybody else to anger God, you, you, you must have been doing something. But, but nonetheless, because of, because of Ahab's disposition and his rebellion against God, the people began to follow his leadership. And, and as if they hadn't done it before, but they began to follow him again, worshiping Baal and serving him and, 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 and uh, offering sacrifices to him. And so God sends the prophet Elijah to appear before uh, Ahab and he says, tell Ahab that it's, going, it's, it's not going to rain for a few years unless I send it. And, and if you know anything about the, the nature of how dependent on rain the people were in Israel, it, it, people depended on rain for the fertility of their crops to make sure that in this agricultural society that they had the, the rain that would dampen the water and that would uh, neutralize the, the ground and make seed to produce uh, so that they would have food to eat. And so because God withheld the rain due to their rebellion and rejection of him, there was a famine in the land and, and a severe famine at that. And so eventually after a couple of years, God sends Elijah and he says, he says go back before Ahab and confront him on some stuff. And, and this is where we kind of find ourselves at in, 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 in chapter 18, verses 20 to 21. And so God sends a, uh, a, a, a Elijah to, to go in front of Ahab, and he says, listen, go, go, gather, go gather all of Israel and, and go get all your people's names and tell them to meet me at Mount Carmel. Go get all the prophets of Baal 
Go get all the prophets of Asherah. Go get the people so they can bear witness to what's about to happen. And go meet me at Mount Carmel. Right. And then Ahab, it says Ahab summoned the Israelites and the prophets all to Mount Carmel. And Elijah, uh, instead of addressing Ahab and the prophets first, he addresses the people and he says, listen, um, like y'all got a decision to make. It's a, e- either you're going to worship God or, or you're going to worship Baal, but you can't straddle the fence. It, it, it don't work like that. Like you can't you can't just flip flop between who you want to worship any other any given day of the week. And, and, and that brings me, brings me to my, fir- my first point this morning, which, which is simply this, that God is not going to force you to worship him. God, I say, I, I don't know what you think about God, but, but even in the text, Elijah is giving them a choice. Elijah is saying, if you believe that the Lord is God, then just be faithful and worship him. But listen, if you believe that Baal is God, at least stand firm in your conviction, even though you're wrong, and just go ahead and worship Baal, but stop acting like you can do both at the same time. And so God gives the people a choice, and he says, he says, listen, I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to strong arm you into worshiping me. I, I want you to do it because you know who I really am, because you know what I've actually done for you, because you know that I've proven myself to you over and over and over again. But don't think for one second that I'm going to strong arm you into worship. God doesn't force us to worship him. Now, now it's interesting, though, uh, before we even get into the depths of this, this conflict, is the, lo- the location of where this conflict is happening matters. The, the location matters because where are they meeting at? They're meeting at Mount Carmel. And, and that's interesting because Mount Carmel was regarded by the Phoenicians as the sacred dwelling of Baal. It was, it was Baal's residence. It was where he settled among his people. It was where he made his home. And so, so, so no doubt I, Ahab and the prophets of Baal, when they hear this challenge come from Elijah and they say, yo, I'll meet you at Mount Carmel, they, they feel in themselves because they're like, okay, cool. He's going to come to us. He, he, he going to come to he going to come to Mount Carmel. He going to come see us where Baal resides. Man, we got the upper hand. And it's it's funny that that God, God, God checks it up with them. He checks rock with them. And he says, listen, listen, we'll play on your home court. I'll be the I'll be the visiting team, at least in, in at least in your mind. I, I, I'll play on your home court. And so if you know anything about home court advantage, they're, they're, especially in sports, people hate going to play in certain places because the environment of opposition is so heavy on them that it makes it difficult to concentrate on what you need to do in order to win. So if you know anything about like uh, the Seattle Seahawks over out, out in, in Seattle, uh, Washington, like they, they, call, they call their stadium or their crowd the sixth man. Uh, uh, or not the sixth man, the twelfth man, because it, the crowd and the environment and the noise and the chanting, it's so loud, and it reverberates throughout the stadium so much so that, that players, as they're trying to throw in calls, they can't hear themselves, they can't communicate. It shuts down their ability to be effective in what they're trying to accomplish, and it's because Seattle has, it, it, they have the home court advantage. And so God, God is so dope. Like, God is so fly, God is so confident that, that he tells Elijah or, 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 or Elijah knows on his own, listen, we don't need home court advantage in order to win this fight. And so, and so they, 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 meet, they meet him at, at Mount Carmel, 
And then Elijah starts addressing the people. Are you going to worship the God of heaven, the covenant God, Yahweh of Israel, or are you going to worship Baal? Now, 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 who is who is this Baal God that keeps getting thrown around? Well, ancient texts depict Baal as a storm God or the, the God who controls uh, the rain, the God who controls the, the thunder and the lightning, the God who controls, in a lot of sense, the weather. And so he was thought to be uh, the fertility God because the land and the crops depended on him sending rain in order to fertilize the ground and the crops so that it could grow. So isn't it, isn't it interesting that God is opposing the so-called storm God who fertilizes the land that people depend on for their crops, that God opposes him by withholding the very thing that he's supposed to be in control over. Oh, come on now. I, I know I'm not in here by myself. If I was in a Pentecostal church, they'd have been running around already. See, see, God, 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 God knows what he's doing. And I'm getting ahead of myself. I, let, get, let's, let's, let's keep going. See, uh, th this is what one commentary says that I like. It says that, that Baal worship, right, Baal worship, presented an attractive alternative or supplement to the worship of the Lord Yahweh. Because for many Israelites uh, in Canaan, they depended on the land and they were dependent on rain for its fertility. So if God, Yahweh, didn't come through, then they could depend on Baal. And if Baal didn't come through, then they could depend on Yahweh. And, 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 and I know we want to look at this and be like, man, but, but God has shown himself faithful to Israel. Like he redeemed them from bondage out of Egypt. And, 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 and he, he fed them while they were in the wilderness and took care of them, gave them all the land, gave them kings. He, 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 like he took, they were such a small nation. Look what God has, has done. Why would they need a, a, a backup plan for God? Well, you know, it, it, would be, it would be easy to sit back and look at them in hindsight and say, man, y'all should know better. But, but you know what, if, when I'm honest with myself, and if you're honest with, with yourself, then you would realize that, that sometimes, very much like the Israelites, you, you have a backup plan to God. That, that you create a backup plan just in case God don't come through. But, but let, me, let me make something clear. The, the God of the Bible makes it absolutely clear that syncretistic worship of both at the same time is impossible. And so Elijah, when he asked the people this question, he's saying, listen, you got to make sure that you understand clearly what God is saying to you. This is an either or matter, not a both and. It can't be God and praying to your ancestors. It can't be God and burning your sage. It can't be God and reading your horoscopes. It can't be God and depending on your money. It can't be God and relying on your education. It can't be God and satisfying your sex drive. It can't be God and climbing the social order. Either the Lord sits on the throne of your heart or nobody does. He wants to make it absolutely clear that then ain't no, ain't no, Look, ain't, ain't, no, ain't no half-stepping with God. There's, there's either full committed monogamy or there's adultery. It's one, it's one of the two. It's one of the two. But you, you, you know, you know, you know the one of the beautiful thing, things I love about God is that even though God won't force you to worship him, he will make you choose. Which brings me to my my second point, 
Even though God won't force you to worship him, guess, guess what he will do? God, God, God makes a regular habit of exposing your idols for what they truly are. Now, he, he ain't going to force you, but he's going to expose your idol for what it is. He's not going to let you stay there. He's not going to force you to worship him, but he's going to make it clear that what that thing that you're worshiping ain't really what you think it is. But, 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 but listen, listen, listen to what I, uh, Elijah says. Elijah says, verse 22, he says, then, then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord. And, 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 and we know that, we, we, we know that in, in uh, verse 13, earlier in the chapter, Elijah's having this conversation with Obadiah. And Obadiah saying, now, now uh, Elijah, man, you know your boy is cool with you. I'm cool with you. I'm on your side. Remember how I, how I, I, I took a hundred of the Lord's prophets and hid them in caves so that Jezebel wouldn't kill him? And so Elijah knows that he's not the only prophet left of the Lord. But what Elijah is making clear is that he's the only prophet left willing to stand up before the people and before Ahab and before Jezebel and, pro and, and proclaim the Lord's greatness uh, 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 in spite of what it might endanger him to do. So, so Elijah says, hey, like, uh, yeah, I, I know that they prophets of the Lord, but I'm the only one standing here. I'm the only one standing here willing to, to put my life on the line to be here so that you know that God is the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and, and so what, 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 what Elijah begins to do is Elijah begins to, to lay out the terms of this confrontation uh, before the people and before the prophets of Baal and before Ahab. And look, look what he says. He, in verse 23, he says, these are the terms. Rock, rock with me, if you will. Uh, it says, let two of the bulls be given to us. And, and let them choose first. They're going to choose a bull, cut it in pieces, place it on the wood, but don't, let the, don't light the fire just yet. And then after they prepare what they got to prepare, I'm going to prepare mine. I'm going to take the bull and, and I'm going to place it on the wood, but I'm not going to light the fire. And this is how we'll prove whose God is really God. We're going to call out to our gods. Now, keep in mind, Baal got 450. It's just your boy. Baal got 450. I'm riding solo. And so he says, if 450 of y'all on your home court should be able to take care of business. But I'm going to let you know whoever's God answers, he is God. And so the people like, well, man, that sounds like a legit that sounds like a legit battle, you know. And so they 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 setting this up for for verses on 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 Saturday night. You know they had no sound issues. Sorry, Teddy, but 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 they they setting up a challenge, and 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 the people are like, all right, let's let's do it. Let's let, let's do it. And Ahab's like, all right, let's do it. And the prophets are like, all right, let's do it. And, but 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 there's something significant about the terms of this agreement that Elijah is laying out before the people. I, I want you to I, I want you to know. The significance of fire coming down and consuming the offering and, and what fire meant for the people, what it meant for Elijah, what was being communicated in the challenge, right? So, number one, fire is an indication of the presence of God, right? We see that uh, with the burning bush. Uh, in Genesis, we see it uh, uh, with the pillar of fire as, as God leads the people through the wilderness. We see it in the vision of the throne of God in Ezekiel chapter 1. It, in, in this way, the, the contest asked the respective deity to show themselves. Fire meant that you were actually there. 
that you that that you left a footprint somewhere. That that you showed up and showed yourself. But for, so fire is an indication of the presence of God, but fire was also connected to the lightning of the storm god. See, Baal was often depicted as having lightning bolts in his hand. And so fire was a huge part of his identity. And so I, I see, I mean, I, I, I love when God, like I love how God just stepped on. Like he comes into your territory and then challenges you on what you think are your strengths just to show you that you really ain't strong before him. And so God steps into, steps onto Mount Carmel, right, which is already his, even though they think it belongs to Baal. And he says, listen, like, okay, so you're supposed to be the storm God and the fire God. Well, guess what? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to show you who's really God. And so what God does is he challenges you with your strengths just to show you how superior to you he is. So the ability to bring fire in this challenge is very strategic on Elijah's part, on God's part. But, but not only that, but fire also represents the acceptance of the sacrifice. Meaning that, that when, when the fire came down, it showed that, 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 uh, that, that you not only as a God were present, but also that you accepted the offering and the petitions that were being made for you to actually show up, right? And, and so, but, but here's the key thing about this, right? The key thing is that if both parties had brought an end to the drought, because what, what, what essentially is being said is, like, whichever God shows up with fire to consume the offering, this is the God who we're depending on to end the drought, to bring rain and end the famine. And so here's what's interesting, though, is if both parties had been praying for the drought to end, the resulting rain could be attributed, attributed to either group, by either group, to its own God. Meaning that if the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah were praying to God, to their individual gods, and then the rain ended, then the people would, would not know really which God answered. Or they would assume that maybe both gods answered. And so what, what they're saying is, as a result, the contest is set up to demonstrate which deity is responding to the petition of his followers. So, so, so this, this contest is set up so that the people can see, so the people can witness with their own eyes which God actually responded in the moment, right? If fire is sent, then the petition has been granted, and the rain that follows would be attributed to the correct deity. But, but here's, the, here's the key, though, right? If Baal were to answer, it would validate the people's worship of him, even if God answered. Meaning that if Baal, if Baal consumed his sacrifice and God consumed his sacrifice, then the people would feel validated in their ability to worship them both simultaneously. And so the only way that this contest proves that God is God and Baal is not is if Baal doesn't respond and God's the only one that answered. And so God, God has purposely backed himself into a corner to say that I, I know for sure. And Elijah's backed himself in the, into a corner saying that I know that the God of Israel is not just limited to Israel. I know that the God of Israel is the God of heaven. And he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns Mount Carmel. You think your God just resides here. But guess who owns the mountain that your God resides on? It's the God of heaven. So Elijah 
is banking on the fact that a God is all-powerful and that their God, the God Baal that they serve, is nothing. It's nothing. Now, now it's, it's, it's interesting because this, this famine has been going on for some years now. And, and, and so for the prophets of Baal, who are serving and worshiping and, and, and talking up this God who's the storm God, um, if you're the storm God and you control weather and the rain and it ain't raining, this ain't a good look for you as a God. Uh, you, you, you having some trouble because Elijah was the one who specifically came on behalf of Yahweh and said, ain't going to be no rain. And so Baal's inability to respond thus far already ain't a good look. And so you can best believe that his people are trying to redeem themselves in the face of this confrontation, right? And, and, and the, the, the beautiful thing, right, about we keep talking about God coming and stepping on the toes. Like he, God don't just sit in the background. You say you got an idol, guess what God does? He steps to him, stands there, and then challenges the idol uh, to what it's supposed to represent and what it's supposed to mean. See, God likes to make our idols look impotent before him in our minds. God, God, what, whatever it is that you think you value, whatever it is that you think you put your trust in, whatever it is that you think you put your faith in to come through for you, to provide for you, God says, I'm going to make it look powerless before me. He says, oh, 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 you, you, oh, you want to worship Baal? All right, well, well, I'm going to take away the thing that you're depending on him for, rain. He, he wants to. God, God wants, to, he wants to eliminate any competition in your mind about who is greater. And so, 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 so look, 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 look what God does. It says, it says so they took the bulls and, and they prepared it and, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, from about 6 a.m. until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was, look, look, look what it said. There was no sound. Nobody answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. And, and, and at noon, Elijah started mocking them. Like Elijah started trash talking. Like he's like, oh, a word? Man, y'all been at this for a while now. He says, what, what is it? Maybe he's, maybe, he's, maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he got up with a buddy and they, they took a joyride. Listen. Not to be inappropriate, but maybe Baal, maybe Baal's in the bathroom handling some business. Maybe he'll, he'll be here in a second. And, 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 or maybe, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he didn't get enough sleep last night. Right? And what's, what's interesting is that Elijah's words that are meant to be taunts, even though they're, 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 uh, they're, like, they're meant to be taunts, th th what he was saying was not unrealistic um, to the proponents of Baal. They, they actually thought that Baal uh, had these type of human uh, uh, these, these type of human interactions or this type of human description could be attached to Baal. Like it wasn't uncommon for Baal to die or for Baal to travel or for Baal to be deep in thought. And so what really Isaiah or Elijah is, is mocking them on is their ineffectiveness, their, their inability to actually communicate with Baal at such a strategic and important moment 
where Baal has the opportunity to prove himself before the people. And he's saying, he's saying, man, if Baal can't show up now, when he going to show up? When is he going to show up? And so what, what do the prophets do? It says, they, it says man, they start, to, they start to shout even louder. They start making even more commotion. And they start cutting themselves and, and, and dripping blood all over the altar and, and dancing around. Because essentially what they're really trying to do is they're, they're, they're trying to manipulate a response out of Baal. And so all of this chanting, all of this bloodletting, all of this uh, cutting and all of this dancing is trying to manipulate Baal to do something for them because of their worship. That their worship and their doing these things moves Baal to respond favorably to them. And it, it's, it, it would be easy to sit back and say like, that, that only pagans try to manipulate God to get a response out of him. But let's be honest. Like, how many of us try to force a response out of God? Oh, oh, oh you, you don't believe me? You don't believe me? Let me I, I knew you weren't going to believe me, and I knew in your heart of hearts when I said that. You're going to be like, I never, I never manipulate God. I, I never try to force a response out of God. I, I never do that. Well, let, let me give you some examples. How many of us test God by making rash decisions? Oh, oh, I know that's a little general. Don't, I'm not finished yet. We, how, how many of us have quit a job without having something else lined up? Because we expect God to just show up for us and provide. Then we get mad at God when the bills get a little tight because we ain't got no job, even though we left and we shouldn't have left in the first place. How, how many of us get into a dating relationship or get married expecting God to remove all the red flags that we know exist but have been ignored? Oh, I know I'm hitting close to home now. I don't, I don't, listen, I don't need you. I can't even hear the amens if, the, if you said it. So I'll, I'll just assume that you didn't. But, but how, how many of us spending money on stuff that we don't need instead of using it for stuff that we do need? Okay, maybe, maybe that's not your cup of tea. How, how many of us try to manipulate God through religious service and activity? Oh, you, you, you think it was just the wealth, health, and, and prosperity gospel that, 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 that does that. No, no. Listen, even solid Christian, mature believers oftentimes wrestle with God by saying, man, God, I've been faithful. I didn't showed up. I'm, I'm serving. I shouldn't go through no hardship. I shouldn't go through no difficulty. Like, God, if I'm really a child of yours, then, like, then what, what are we even talking about? You, you see how much I've read my Bible. You see my, like, why are they getting blessed and I'm not getting blessed and I'm more faithful than they are? Right? Because we think that our activity before God earns us a, a certain type of response to God. And, 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 and lastly, what, what, sometimes you know what we do? Sometimes we just rebel. Sometimes we try to force a response out of God because God hasn't done what we wanted him to do. And so we just start wilding out. And we say, well, since you're not going to do what I want you to do, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And I'll do what you want me to do, God, when you do what I want you to do. Listen, I, listen, I know I ain't by myself. Y'all can, y'all, come on. Somebody say amen or ouch or, or something. But, but, and so, so, so the, the prophets of Baal, they've been doing this for hours and still aren't getting a response. And then it says in verse 30, it says that Elijah said to all the people, come near. Come, come, come in close. Come, come in close so you can see um, that, that there's no fraudulent activity. I'm not going to light this secretly uh, behind the scenes. Like, I want you to come in close. See what I'm doing. 
want you to come in close and see the intimacy that I share with the God that I serve. Because I, I know he's going to respond. I just want you to see that he's going to respond. And so Elijah calls the people near, so all the people approach him. And then Elijah tears or, or repairs one of the altars to the Lord that has been torn down, most likely from uh, Jezebel's promotion of, of worshiping Baal throughout the land. Right? And so Elijah, he sets up the altar. He uses 12 stones representing the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and he, he puts them together uh, in, uh, in, in, in or, or like a, as this altar uh, because in, in his mind and in the Lord's mind, even though they were a divided nation, they still were one people under one covenant before the Lord. Right? And so Elijah begins to, to build this altar, and then he cuts up the bull. And after he lays the wood down and after he lays uh, the bull on the, the wood, guess what he does? He, he says, he says I, 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 just so you know that this, what's about to happen is legit, legit, like supernatural, legit. I'm going to stack the deck a little bit. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm take some water. And he tells them, he, he tells them to, to grab four pots uh, or, or, and, and to take water and to pour it over the offering. And so they pour it over the bull, and it, and it soaks the bull, and it soaks the wood, and it drips down in, onto the altar, and, and then down into a trench that they had dug around the altar. And he says, okay, do it a second time. Oh, okay, you know, you know what? For the Holy Ghost, do it a third time. And so, so here they are. Here Elijah is standing before the people with this offering, with this altar drenched in water, and then, and, and, and then, then he begins to pray. And unlike the theatrics of his adversaries, Elijah simply addresses God. Look what he says in verse 36. He says, now at the time for the evening offering, which was probably around three o'clock, it says that the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he says, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that it's at your word that I have done these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned, listen to this, that you have turned their hearts back to you. Now, I, I, I love this. I love this because, like, Elijah knows, or he should know, that God doesn't have to respond to Baal, to the people's worship of Baal. He doesn't have to do that. That's not something he has to do. He could let the people continue to worship a false god. He could let you stay in your sins separated and far from the peaceful shores. But God just decides time and time again to step into human history and show off his majesty and his glory and his power so that you don't have an excuse for why you can't worship him. And, and, and this, this reminds me, like I, Elijah's prayer, for some reason, reminds me of the three Hebrew boys when they get tossed or right before Nebuchadnezzar tosses them into the fiery furnace. Because what, they, they, what do they say to him? They say, man, if the God that we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace. But guess what? Even if he don't rescue us, he's still God. Even if he don't come through and save, 
Nothing about his character changes. Even if he doesn't see me through this situation that was no fault of my own, guess what he still is? He's still good, and he's still a provider, and he still takes care of everything that I need. See, see, if you need God to save you in order to trust him, then you've replaced his glory for yours. Because what you're saying is that God's glory is more about your personal, your personal comfort, your, your personal preferences, than it is about his name. Because look what Elijah says. He says, he says, he says God, I, I want you to do this. I want you to do this because not only does it, not, it, it does vindicate me. It shows that I was a prophet and that what I was saying on your behalf was true. But even more than me, it vindicates your name. Because look, it says, he says, he, 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 says, he says, let it be known to the people that you are the God of Israel. He says, God, I just want you to affirm to them. They should already know this. But I just want them to have clarity that they're missing out on worshiping such an awesome God. That they're missing out. Then I love what Elijah prays. He says, he says that, that you have turn their hearts back. Whew. Man, listen, this, this people who has constantly rejected God, who has constantly turned their back on God, turned their hearts from God, and God told them that this would happen. He said, man, y'all start marrying these foreign, these, these foreign women with their foreign gods. You, you start letting all their religious practices affect you. He, he said, you're going to start to forget about me. You're going to get into this land and think you got there on your own. You're going to get into this land and forgot the God of heaven who brought you there. And, of course, that happened time and time again. But the beautiful thing is that every time the people would turn their backs on God, even when God would give them judgment and God would give them rebuke, there was still an opportunity where he allowed relationship with him to be reconciled. There was always an opportunity for repentance. And so verse 38, it just, verse 38 says, it says, then the Lord's, the Lord's fire not Baal's fire, but the Lord's fire fell and consumed everything. Like it, like, like it consumed the burnt offering. It consumed the wood. But, but notice what else the Bible says it consumed. It consumed the stones. Stones that do not get consumed by fire. Fire cannot consume stones. But here it did. It even licked up all the water and the dust that was around the altar. God said, just so you know that I'm supremely God, that I am omnip omnipotently God, that, that I'm, as, I'm as God as God can be, I'm going to take up everything with this fire. And so, so uh, God, God consumes it all. And then verse 39 says that the people, the people saw this, this great work, this, this work, this fire come down that could only come from God. And, and, and what was their response? It says that they fell down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, the, the only proper response to God showing you that he's God is repentance and worship. It, it, it reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 where the Bible just says that he came finally, finally he came to his senses. And, and the people 
when they see this fire come down, uh, it's, 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 it's almost as if finally they came to their senses, their senses, and their hearts turned back to the Lord. Listen, listen, listen. It, it's, it, there was, a, there was a, 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 a rich man, a guy named Lazarus. And, and the rich man, you know, the rich man, had a, he had it made. Clothes, big crib, partied all the time. Lazarus, your boy Lazarus, was homeless, sitting at the gate, begging for food. He's like, man, if I can just get some of the leftovers, I'll be straight. There, there, there was nothing about these two and their lives that was similar. The only thing that they had in common was the fact that they died. Both of them died. And, and the difference even after they died is significant because the Bible says that, that Lazarus went to be uh, went to the Lord and stood uh, by Abraham. And the rich man woke up and found himself experiencing the wrath of God. And, and, and the rich man, as, he, as, he's, as he's down there experiencing the torment of the wrath of God, he, he looks up and sees Lazarus and sees Abraham standing there. And he's like, he's like man, can, can, can you give your boy a little comfort? Just, just just dip your finger in some water and just put it on my tongue. Just give me a little reprieve. And what is, what, what is Abraham saying? Abraham's like me. He's like, man, I wish I could help you. Uh, but but, but you, you got all the enjoyment out of, this, out of your life that you wanted before you died. And the rich man's like, well, please, all right, oh, if you can't do that, please send somebody to my family to warn them so that they don't end up like me. And Abraham's like, man, well, why, why should I do that when they already have God's word? Easily accessible to them. But the rich man is like, he's like, yeah, yeah, but, but, but in, 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 in the, the rich man says in, in, in the famous words of the famous poet DMX, Lord, please just, just give them a sign. And then Abraham's response is, if the word of God isn't already enough, then nothing else will be. Family of God, all I want to say today is that there will come a time when the opportunity to repent before God has expired. And God will bring the full extent of his wrath on everyone who has not found refuge in his son, Jesus the Christ. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, we have a substitute who pays the debt of sin that we owe and restores the relationship that matters most between us and God. And so the question on the floor is, is, is that even though God gives opportunities of repentance and restoration and reconciliation when we stray. Will you trust him today? Will you take him at his word? And will you put your faith in his beloved son, Jesus, who is the Christ? That's the question on the floor today. Because God does not do open relationships. Father, God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you challenge the idols of our hearts. We thank you that you show yourself to be superior when we think that we've found something better. And God, when we stray, we thank you that we can go to the cross and be forgiven. And so, God, we pray by the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you would help us by your spirit to walk faithfully before you, to love your law and love your word. And to repent often 
God, when we live as if you aren't enough. So, Father, help us, oh God, we pray this day. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully, the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.